Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, but this is also printed in your worship guides on page 12. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And before I read, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jen. Today is the second Sunday in Advent. We are on part two of our four-part Advent series. And uh, I said this last week, but we do not always have an Advent series here at Proclamation. We don't typically follow the church calendar too closely. And and we said that that was a freedom of conscience issue. We believe so. So last week I gave a brief overview of that. If you weren't here uh, for that, I would encourage you to either listen to that sermon via our podcast or our website, or perhaps this week I'll try to send out an email summary of that. But just a brief reminder, the word Advent is derived from a Latin word for coming or arrival. And this is a time to remember and to celebrate the first coming of Jesus in humility while also preparing for the second coming of Jesus in power and in glory. And Jesus is indeed coming again as king to put his full glory, his full reign on display. Amen? So today, we are on part two of this four-part Advent series. We're looking at the messages that angels proclaimed around the first coming of Jesus. Last week, we saw, uh, we looked at the angel Gabriel, his appearance to Zechariah when he told him that his wife Elizabeth would have a son, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, who would indeed 
come to take away all our disgrace, all our reproach. Well, today, this week, Gabriel is back. Only this time, he's appearing to Mary. And he will tell her that she too will have a son. But her son, Jesus, will be unlike any other. With a birth that is unlike any other. And here's the main theme of Gabriel's message to Mary. Essentially, he tells her what we want to think about this morning is that Jesus is the king who saves and who reigns over everything for all time. Will you submit to his reign and humbly serve him? Jesus is the king who saves, the king who reigns over all forever. How will you respond to him? So this morning we want to look at what the angel Gabriel says about Jesus. We will consider Mary's response and see what we can learn from that. And I've organized what Gabriel says into four statements. So first off, this baby, Mary's son, Jesus, will be king. The message that Gabriel Gabriel brings is steeped in the Old Testament. There are multiple references to David. You may know David from the Old Testament. David began uh, his life, his service as a shepherd. Uh, He is well known for defeating Goliath. Later, he was anointed as king, and he would go on to become one of the greatest kings of God's Old Testament people, Israel. David was indeed a great king in many ways, but if you know his life... He was far from perfect. And God's people need a perfect king to rule them. And that king was not David. David is noteworthy. We remember him not mainly for what he did or for for what he failed to do, but because of what God promised to do through him. What God promised to bring through David's descendants. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised that he would establish his kingdom through the descendant of David, one who would sit on his throne forever. And so now here in Luke chapter 1, Luke tells us that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. That's not a word we use today, but it meant that she was legally pledged to be married to Joseph. Something like engagement today, only more significant more legal, there was more legality to it. So then we are told that this Joseph, who, who Mary is betrothed to, to uh, be wed to, Joseph is of the house of David. He's a descendant of David. And since Joseph will be the legal adoptive father of Jesus, Jesus will then, by law, also be descended from David. Amen. This is incredibly significant. And this is why it says in verse 32... God will give to him, to Jesus, the throne of his father, David. So the first thing to note about this baby boy that Mary's going to give birth to is that this is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. This is amazing news that Mary is hearing. And it would not have been lost on her. Don't let it be lost on you. This baby boy, Jesus, is the rightful heir to the throne. It is his right to reign. He doesn't usurp the throne. God, the king of everything, gives it to him 
Because it is Jesus' right to reign because Jesus is God's promised king. Second, Jesus will be a perfect king who saves. Now you cannot escape the virgin birth in this passage. It is essential to who Jesus is. It is an essential aspect of faith and trust in Jesus. The virgin birth, unlike the celebration of Advent, is not an open-hand issue. This is not an issue that is left to the freedom of our conscience. It's also not the focus of this sermon. I don't have time in one sermon to explore or, or proclaim all the glories of Jesus that are in this one short passage. It would be a much longer sermon than you're used to. But I do want to say a few things about the virgin birth because it is so significant. To help us see that Jesus is God's perfect king, his holy king. So to understand this, we have to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, when God first created the world, he placed the first humans, our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And Adam was set there, in a sense, as ruler or king of the garden. He was placed there as our representative. God made a covenant with Adam, and Adam acted on our behalf. And so when Adam rebelled against God the king, when he sinned, we, each one of us, sinned in him and we sinned with him. And we fell with him and in him. And so from Adam, every person ever born by ordinary generation. That's an important phrase that uh, people who study the Bible like to use. By ordinary generation, that is from a human father and mother, every person born since Adam by ordinary generation is born guilty before God and also born with what we call a sin nature, which means that we are not sinners because we sin, but that we sin because we are sinners. It's how we are born. But this is not true of Jesus. This is not true of Jesus. And one reason it's not true of Jesus is because of this virgin birth. Jesus was born of a woman. He was born of Mary, but not of man. Yes, he was born with a true human nature, but not a sinful nature. He was not guilty. And so Gabriel tells Mary when she asks, how will this happen? How can I have a baby since I'm a virgin? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Spirit of the living God will miraculously produce life in her. And therefore, because of that, because of this virgin birth, the child will be called holy. So one reason, not the only reason, but one reason the virgin birth is so significant is because it allows this king to be born without guilt, without sin. You, each one of you here, Right now, listening, you were born guilty. You were born a sinner in need of salvation. Jesus was not. Jesus was born holy. Jesus was born to save. And so we see that he was given the name Jesus, which means Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel appears to Joseph, he says that, He'll be given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So this is the perfect king who saves. 
So even before Gabriel tells Mary of the greatness and the dignity and the power of Christ, he tells her how Jesus is going to use this greatness, this dignity, this power. He is going to use it to save. But how? How will he save? Not with his sword, but with his suffering. In the death on the cross, Christ will not only bear all the guilt, all the shame, all the sin of his people, but he will also crush the head of Satan, the serpent who bruised his heel. So, beloved, Jesus is the perfect king who willingly lays down his life to save those who were his enemies in order to welcome them to sit at his table in his kingdom. Third, Jesus will be a king who reigns with almighty power. A king who reigns with almighty power. Gabriel says that Jesus will be great and that he will be called the son of the most high. Most high is a very old title for the all-powerful God. That title is used throughout the Old Testament. It's used in one of my favorite passages from the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4, by King Nebuchadnezzar, who at that time, up till that time, had been, well, you could say, the most powerful king on earth until God humbled him and brought him low. And then after God restored him, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar had to say. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. That is, I blessed the one with true power, with all power. I blessed the Almighty God. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So Jesus is the son of the most high, which means that Jesus will reign with almighty power. Gabriel is telling Mary, this child, that you are going to have. He will be the king who will reign over everything and everyone, everywhere. You know, for us, it's bad news. It's bad news for us today when a human ruler gets too much power. That's why we have checks and balances in our government systems. Because we know that with great power comes great responsibility. And Spider-Man was not the first person to hear that. I think Churchill said that. I think Voltaire said that before him. But it's true. With great power comes great responsibility. And it's also true that most humans don't handle that responsibility well. And it's also true that you cannot trust any mere human to wield absolute power. It's also been said that absolute power corrupts absolutely but not for Jesus. Not for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is not a mere human. Because Jesus is without sin. 
Because Jesus is the Holy One of God. He is perfect man and truly God. And so we need, indeed, we want Jesus to have absolute power because he will use it for perfect justice. He will use it for your greatest good. He will use it to save. Jesus is the king who reigns with almighty power. And beloved, that is good news for you today. Fourth, Jesus will be a king whose reign never ends. Gabriel says in verse 33, Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now again, in in our world, too often, bad governments reign for too long, and good governments don't last. That's true. It's also true that people disagree on which is which. In our world today. The good news is. This perfect almighty king. Will reign forever. And when he does. There will be no disagreement. As to whether his reign is good. This perfect king. Will reign forever. When we've been there. 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days. To sing God's praise. Than when we first begun. Amen? When Jesus comes again, he will bring with him his new creation, his kingdom, and he will rule for all eternity, forever and ever. Beloved, you do not have to fear that someone or something will overthrow him. It cannot be done. He has already defeated Satan. So his reign will not end By someone overpowering him. It can't be done. You also do not have to fear that he will die. That his reign will end in death. Because he has already died. And he has conquered death by rising again. You also do not have to fear or worry. That he will abuse his almighty power. Because he is good. And he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Which means that throughout the reign, his eternal reign, he will always be good and he will always do good. Jesus indeed will bring the perfect reign that all of creation longs for. Ever since Adam failed in ruling the world. So to reign forever means that Jesus lives forever. And think about who will be the subjects of his eternal reign. We're told it will be the house of Jacob. Now this takes us back to our study of Romans. Who's among the house of Jacob? All believing Jews and all Gentiles who have been grafted in. It's all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Those who by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, have indeed passed from death into life. Which means that you too, beloved, you who trust in Jesus, you also will live forever. The king of this kingdom reigns forever because he lives forever. And those who are the subjects of his kingdom will live forever with him in his reign. And so you will join all of God's people from every time and place in God's kingdom, enjoying his reign. And we long for that day to come. Think about the world that you live in. Where are you frustrated? Where are you grieved or saddened by poor rule? 
Where are you suffering today because of an unjust reign? Think of that all over the world, world, whether it's the highest up in government or whether it's in your workplace or in your home or someplace else. Where do you see this this corruption, this self-interest, this glory-seeking, this favoritism, this injustice? Where is that evident with all its ugly effects in your world, in your life? Where you see it, the scriptures would call you to lament, to acknowledge the sin of it, the wickedness of it, the evil of it. The scriptures would call you to speak out, to make it known, to to seek justice. But also, yes, do those things, but also the scriptures encourage us to turn our eyes, to turn our thoughts to Jesus, the true king. And to look forward to and long for his return. Where you will enter fully into his kingdom. And the will of God will finally be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the king who saves. He's the king who reigns over all forever. Now the question is. Will you today submit to his reign? And will you humbly serve him? How will you respond to the truth about Jesus. Well, how did Mary respond? If you study this passage, you study uh, people who have studied this passage and written books about it, you'll learn that Mary, when she receives this visit, is somewhere around 14 years old, give or take a couple years. Now, 14 then is different from 14 now, but still, that is a young girl. She's around 14 years old, and the angel Gabriel, a supernatural being, comes to her with this message from God. Though she's a virgin, she's going to have a child, this child who will be king. And how did Mary respond? And Mary, we see the character, characteristic response of all believers, of all those who are favored. You see, Mary was able to respond in the way that she did, not because of who she was, but because of God's grace in her life. Gabriel said to Mary when he first came on the scene, greetings, O favored one. And this means that Mary received grace. She was the recipient of grace, not the source of grace to others. Grace and favor came to her undeserved from God Almighty. And beloved, when this grace, this undeserved grace comes from God Almighty to a person, it produces the results that we see in Mary. Mary believed the word of the Lord. She submitted to the will of the Lord and she joyfully and humbly accepted her place as the servant of the Lord. Mary believed the word of the Lord as all Christians do. Now, if you're listening carefully and you were here last week and you were listening carefully last week, you might remember that I said, like Zechariah, all Christians are a mixture of doubt and faith. That one of our most common prayers could be, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And yes, that is true. But it is also true 
that all those who trust in Jesus believe the word of the Lord. After all, we are sometimes called believers. We believe the word of the Lord. When Mary hears this message, she says to the angel, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, this is different from the question that Zechariah asked. Zechariah asked Gabriel, how shall I know this? How do I know this is true? I need confirmation from what you're saying. That's not what Mary asks. Mary asks, how will this be? She believes it's going to happen. She just wants an explanation. I don't understand. I believe, but how's it going to happen? And so Gabriel tells her, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power will overshadow you and you'll be with child. Okay, I'm not sure that helps so much. You know, this, this still has never happened in the history of the world, but she believes. And once again, God is gracious to encourage, to strengthen her faith, to give her a tangible witness. First, he gives the proclamation. Nothing will be impossible with God. So what is he doing? He's saying to Mary, take your eyes off yourself and put them on God. Focus on his power. He is able to do this. So there's a a proclamation, a statement about the character and the power of God that Mary can focus on. But he doesn't just give her a proclamation. He gives her a person. He gives her an example. He says, basically, Mary, God has already done something like this. Behold, look, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. She's six months in, she who was called barren. So he's saying to Mary, look, God has already produced a miraculous pregnancy. In fact, in one of your relatives, go see her. Be encouraged by God's work in her life. Beloved, God is so gracious to feed our faith, to encourage and strengthen our faith. How does he do this? He does this by making himself known, making himself known in his word, making himself known here in our gathered worship. So I would encourage you, believers, to meditate on the one you believe in, the proclamations in his word. But God also feeds our faith by putting his work on display in the lives of other believers. Gabriel told Mary about Elizabeth to encourage her faith. So I wonder, beloved, do you look for signs of God in your brothers and your sisters? Are you encouraged by their faith, by what God is doing in and through their lives? We can give thanks to God. We can give glory to God and be strengthened in our faith as we see him at work in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And this also works the other way. I encourage you to seek to encourage others yourself by what God is doing in and through you. Now, for this to work, the way God designed, it requires fellowship with other believers. You have to see them, right? Mary had to actually go and be with Elizabeth and see, oh yes, I can tell you are pregnant. And she could put her hand on her womb and feel the baby leap for joy. So you have to be with people, enjoy fellowship with other believers to talk to them. Mary believed the word of the Lord and you do too.
because God has been gracious to you. So beloved, let us encourage one another in our faith. Mary also submitted to the will of the Lord. At the end, what did she say? She said, let it be to me according to your word. Now, beloved, if it is done to you according to the word of the Lord, it will be well. It will be good. You will be blessed. But this does not mean that it will be easy or that it will be pleasant. Think about Mary. She says, let it be to me according to your word. And it was, but that word, not only did it bring great blessing, but it also brought suffering for Mary in various ways. It brought the pain of childbirth. So there would come a time where she would be in great physical pain because of this word from the Lord. It also brought the pain of a conversation with Joseph. She had to tell him about this. And his first response was to handle it discreetly, to to put her away discreetly. It also brought the pain of people not believing her and turning against her. So yes, let it be to me according to your word. That brought pain and suffering into her life, but ultimately it would bring salvation. And Mary rejoiced in that. And so, beloved, God's will is our delight, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. And then Mary also humbly accepted her place as the servant of the Lord. Here, Mary gives us a model response to the king. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. All Christians are servants of the Lord, And all Christians serve the Lord in weakness, not in our strength, but in the strength that God supplies. Consider both Mary and Elizabeth. God worked great miracles through their weakness, through their inability. Neither one of them, when the angel came to them, was physically able to give birth, to get pregnant. Elizabeth was barren, too old. Mary was a virgin. So it was physically impossible that what the angel said was going to be true would actually happen. But God worked his miracle through their inability, their weakness, to show that the surpassing greatness belongs to God. And to encourage you today, beloved, that God is not limited by your inability. He's not limited by your weakness, by your lack. God can and will use you as a servant to bring him glory. Nothing will be impossible with God. All Christians are servants of the Lord. And it is the greatest privilege. It is the highest honor in the world to be a servant of King Jesus. Beloved, we are servants of the true King the good king, the coming king. And it is ours to obey, not to command. It is ours to be grateful, not to be proud or entitled. It is ours to give glory, not to seek glory. It is ours to serve, not to be served. It is ours to submit, not to rebel. It is ours to trust and to obey, not to complain. The message from Gabriel to Mary was this. 
Jesus will be the king who saves, the king who reigns over all forever. Will you submit to his reign? And will you humbly serve him? So the big question for today is who will be king? Who will be king in your life? And this is where I want to turn in closing to this this short track, this pamphlet that is written with children in mind. And it asks this question, who will be king? There is an adult version. It's called Two Ways to Live. And we have these copies of both of these on our tables in the back or out front today. I would encourage you to, to read through this on your own. Read through the two ways to live if you're an adult. And I would encourage you just to be encouraged by it yourself. But also to, to prayerfully consider who you might give one to along with perhaps one of these invitations to our Lessons and Carol service over the next few weeks. This summarizes what I have just proclaimed. And I just want to read it in closing so you can hear a summary of the gospel, either to encourage the faith God has already given you, or maybe perhaps in this very moment, God will grant you faith to believe and trust in him. So let me, let me just read through this. It's short, but it will, it will tie in with what I've proclaimed from Luke 1 and expand upon it a little bit. Who will be king? So I wonder, have you ever wondered what it would, like, what it would be like to be in charge of your family? or the boss of your school, or maybe you'd like to be king of the whole world and be in charge of everything. Well, God's book, the Bible, talks a lot about who's the king of everything, and it asks a very important question. Who will be your king? But let's start at the beginning. God is the loving king of everything because he made everything. God made the whole world and everything in it, so God is in charge of the world. He is king. God is not a bossy, selfish king like some human kings. He's kind and loving and good. That's why the world that he made is full of good things. God makes people too, and he gives us life. That means he is our king. We should read what God says in the Bible and do what he says. The problem is we don't like God telling us what to do. We say no to God. We try to be our own king instead, but we make a big mess of God's good world. Even though God is the true king, we don't want him to be our king. And so we all say no to him by not obeying him as our king. We do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. We pretend that we are king instead of God. And this is what the Bible calls sin. And sin causes lots of problems. By trying to do things our own way, we hurt one another. We make a big mess of God's good world. Well, what do you think God will do about this? God is the only true king. And he will not let people keep saying no to him. God's punishment is that we are shut out of his kingdom forever. It makes God angry that we don't obey him as king. It also makes him angry that we are selfish, that we hurt one another, that we make a mess of his good world. God will not let us keep saying no to him and pretending to be our own king instead. One day, God will show everyone that he is the only true king. He will set up a wonderful kingdom that never ends. And on that day, 
Everyone who has been saying no to him will be shut out of his kingdom forever. We all deserve that. We all deserve God's punishment, but there is very good news. Because of his love, God sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus died to take our punishment so that we could be forgiven. Because he is so loving, God has done something to rescue us, to rescue you and me from this punishment that we deserve. Many years ago, God sent his own son, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus, unlike everyone else, did not say no to God. He always did what God wanted him to do. And so Jesus did not deserve to be punished like the rest of us. But he was. Jesus was punished. He was killed on the cross. God loved us so much that he put the punishment we deserved on his own son, Jesus, instead of us. Which means that you and I this very day can be forgiven for saying no to God. We can be welcomed into God's wonderful kingdom as his friends. But there's even more good news. God brought Jesus back to life again. And made him the king of everything. And one day, this risen king will come back. You know, when our friends die today, we don't see them anymore. They stay dead in our minds. But even though Jesus died, God brought him back to life again. And lots of people saw him alive again. Lots of people talked to him, even touched him. Then Jesus left our world and he went back to be with God, his father. And God made Jesus the king of the whole world. And one day, this living, reigning king Jesus will come back to our world. He will punish everyone who is still saying no to God, but he will welcome his forgiven friends into his good kingdom forever. What does this mean for us? It means that there are two ways to live. You can say no to God and keep pretending to be your own king but you should know what a folly that is i imagine if you are living that way today you know that you aren't really king you know that you cannot really solve the problems of this world you know that you need a rescue so you can do that you can keep saying no to god and pretend to be your own king but God will punish you by shutting you out of his kingdom forever. Or you can acknowledge the truth. You can acknowledge the reality. You can say sorry to God and start living with Jesus as your king and enjoy being in God's kingdom forever. So beloved, who will be your king? Now, if you're wondering that today, if you have not yet submitted to Jesus' reign as king, there's a simple way you can do this. There's a simple way that you can start living with Jesus as your king. In this little booklet, it says, just say three simple things. You can say, sorry, thank you, and please. Say sorry to God for not obeying him, for saying no to him, trying to live as your own king. Sorry for what the Bible calls sin. You can say, thank you to God. Thank you, God for sending your own son, Jesus, to die in my place for my sins. And you can ask God to please forgive you and say, please, God, help me now to live with Jesus as my king. So, beloved, the question is, who will be your king? Jesus is 
the king who saves. Jesus is the king who reigns over all forever. Will you submit to his reign and will you joyfully serve him with your life? Beloved, this king is coming again. And while we wait for his return, let us encourage one another to serve him with humble joy. Amen.